a very powerful song by Berita featuring Nzovu Youth Choir. Ungandi Bulali, that is the song. And um, we are using the song as the SABC to commemorate uh, 16 days of activism against no violence and abuse against women and children in South Africa. We are right now on SFM 104 to 107 nationwide and on DSTV channel 817 talking um, family issues and children and HIV and AIDS is one of the issues that we are looking at right now. Joining us is uh, Dr. Joan Faniker, who's one of the children's sector reps on the South African National AIDS Council Civil Society Forum. SAFM Late Now Conversations A-Teamers, I'd like to hear from you. How has the HIV and AIDS pandemic affected you, your family and your loved ones? Have you seen the, the, the plea and the cry of house-headed households with um, uh, child-headed households? And have you seen the plea and the cry of those who are you know, uh, taking HIV treatment as young people and having to, you know, find out what the treatment they are on is when they're in their teenage years. What is the effect? How have you dealt with this if you are a person that has dealt with such a situation? Please do call in and feel free to be anonymous. The number to dial is 011-714-2006. Or you can call in on 011-714-4045. SMS lines are 41391. SMS are charged at 150. Or WhatsApp us on 0614-104-107. I'd like to welcome Dr. Joan Fanny Gerk. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Dr. Fanny Gerk. How are you this evening? I'm really good. Thank you. And thank you for having me to discuss such an important issue with you. Very, very important issue indeed, especially after we have celebrated World AIDS Day on the 1st of uh, December. And today being the 8th of December, we are still within um, the, the, the commemoration of World AIDS Health Day. Talk to us about children's issues around HIV and AIDS in South Africa. Right. Well, children in this country have obviously been very much affected. Um, Initially, uh, we saw many orphaned children. Now, with the advent of ARVs and their availability, when we don't have drug stockouts at some of our clinics, parents are living for much longer. And so, you know, we don't see the same levels of orphanhood that we initially saw. Um, Also, we have one of the most successful uh, prevention of mother-to-child transmission programs in the world. South Africa can can be very proud of that. And we have remarkably reduced our levels of HIV infection through um, the birthing process from somewhere around 33% to about 1.5% of all births. That's absolutely amazing. Um, We also have done a lot of research on breastfeeding and the importance of uh, exclusive breastfeeding. What we have not been successful with, and um, 
that is something that also relates to our 16 days of activism, is the protection of children from infection as a result of sexual abuse. And this is something that the medical medical, um, profession has actually found quite difficult to come to terms with, um, that children can be infected as a result of sexual abuse. I can remember the first child that we ever saw when I was working with a childline who was infected as a result of sexual abuse. The doctors tested and retested this child. The parents were tested and retested because, you know, they initially and kept on presenting as negative. And um, what was interesting, too, was that the child also presented with uh, a sexually transmitted infection. But it was just so difficult for people to get their heads around the fact that someone could abuse this child with only two and that she could be infected as a result of that sexual abuse. So that is something that um, still is a huge challenge to us in this country that we are not doing all that well on protecting children from um, transmission through sexual abuse. Wow, it's a very daunting reality that we are facing in South Africa, and that is the fact that uh, sexual abuse um, can be one of the results of HIV and AIDS in young people. Now, you know, as, as we look at this, Dr. Fanikar, could you perhaps take us through some of the statistics, if there are any around, how many young people who are HIV positive today are as a result of uh, sexual abuse as uh, versus to those who have acquired HIV via birth? Well, we do know that acquiring um, HIV through uh, birth, the birthing process is now very low. It's one and a half percent of natural births. And that, that figure continues to decrease as the use of um, uh, mother-to-child transmission prevention medication becomes more acceptable. I think initially women were a bit apprehensive when this was first developed in South Africa, Um, but it's become more and more acceptable to use that medication. When it comes to HIV infection as a result of sexual abuse, we actually don't know the figures. Children can be given ARVs immediately within that 72-hour golden period after they have been raped or sexually assaulted. Um, And there has been the uh, mixing of body fluids. Um, But a lot of children do not report um, sexual abuse in time for that medication to be given effectively. And the other problem that we have with this particular uh, issue um, is that sometimes we find that children are turned away from police stations and that effectively uh, inhibits their ability, well, they just cannot access those ARVs um, timelessly unless, you know, they are, the case is accepted by the police and they are taken um, to a medical facility. Now, our Department of Health, um, I believe, took a very brave step 
And um, when uh, the Sexual Offences Act was originally passed, you couldn't, as a sexual offences victim, get access to ARVs unless you reported the case in the prescribed manner to the SAPS. And children and adults are very traumatized after sexual abuse. So what we found is that there were quite low levels of reporting and of course we also had the problem and still have the problem of occasionally children being turned away from police stations. We don't know the exact figures but we do know that we see children on a regular basis who are infected as a result of sexual abuse and who um, perhaps for whatever reason have not had access to ARVs which are there for them. Um, if the law works as it should and if reporting works as it should. So figures are very difficult. What we would like to see is less children infected because infection for children means at this point a lifetime of taking medication. And very often children who are HIV positive go through phases of, of not feeling comfortable taking their medication. Um, and compliance with uh, taking medication regularly um, and continuously is, is difficult to sustain, particularly during adolescence. We are talking to Dr. Joan Fanny-Gerg. A-team, as I'd like to hear from you around the effect of uh, HIV and AIDS on our children um, in South Africa. As uh, Dr. Joan Fanny-Gerg is one of the children's sector's representatives on the South African National AIDS Council Civil Society Forum. And uh, the number that you can dial as an A-team is 11 2006, alternatively on 011-714-4045. You can also SMS 41391 or even WhatsApp us on 0614-104-107. Now, Dr. Joan Fanny-Gerg, one of the things that I've always asked myself, if you are a parent or a guardian of a child who was born HIV positive, and this child is now of an age where they are inquisitive and want answers, how do you deal with the issue of that child wanting to know why they take the medication they take why is it that they get blood tests um, as often as they do and they get the medication that they do and they have to take it on a daily basis and with the access to information as well some of these children could um, you know as well google and ask the question on google what is medication a b c and d and they would find the answer how do you handle such an issue With a a great deal of honesty and also as early as possible with an explanation that is child-friendly. So it's important that children do know from a young age that they have to be careful that if they hurt themselves and bleed, that others who help them must cover their hands um, and they themselves, if another child hurts themselves and is bleeding, they need to be very careful and cover their hands if they want to help that child. In actual fact, we should all practice, and this sounds very technical, um, but universal precautions. In other words, any time we see any other person whose HIV status we don't know, be it an adult or a child, 
um, we should be covering our hands with something that blood or other body fluids can't penetrate. We don't always have gloves available, but plastic bags that are quite strong and cover your hands and have no holes and can do the job just as well as a pair of gloves if you are careful. You must just make sure that there is no uh, contamination with body fluid. So children need to know from a young age um, that this is something that they need to be aware of and it's because their blood has something in it that can harm others and they need to be protective of others and that is why they take the medication. Just in the same way that a diabetic child needs to take medication every day. So parents can draw parallels between HIV and other illnesses. Maybe even using granny as an example who takes blood pressure pills every day for her blood pressure. You know, that kind of stuff. We find that where parents do not talk to their children and the child finds out by accident, then there is a loss of trust in the parent. And sometimes these are children who are so angry that they act out and they can act out in anger or they sometimes will act out sexually. Um, in other words, I'm so angry and it's a late, there's no late explanation that ex really helps the child um, at that point. Um, they're so angry that sometimes they can say, well, why don't I just be irresponsible with my, with my behavior because someone was irresponsible in relation to me and why don't I just infect others? Um, and we have had instances of children doing exactly that. So if you start preparing a child from young, before they really understand and have sexual needs, it's useful. You can prepare the child well. You can deal with it. If you are an HIV-positive parent and that is why your child is HIV, maybe you didn't know your status, um, you know, before you gave birth, maybe you missed the testing or you missed the parent-to-child uh, transmission um, testing and, and medication. Rather be honest with your child and say, yes, you know, this is something that I have to take responsibility for, but you do not have to harm others through your behavior um, or through carelessness. So you talk to children uh, about their status openly and honestly. It's difficult for parents, though. Some parents find it very taboo because there is still a sense of there being stigma attached to a positive HIV status. And of course, we always hope that communities and individuals will, in inverted commas, get over this. Self-stigma is often a greater problem than stigma that one receives from others or stigmatized behavior from others. People label themselves negatively. And I think one has to talk to one's child about positive living despite their HIV status. 
talking about positive living despite HIV status. And this is uh, one of the, uh, you know, very important notes that we need to take as uh, we are talking HIV and AIDS in relation to children today on SAFM Late Night Conversations. A-teamers, our guest today is Dr. Joan Fanikat, who's one of the children's sectors representatives on the South African National AIDS Council Civil Society Forum. I'd like to hear from you on over. 11-714-2006 alternatively on 011-714-4045 please do also SMS on 41391 SMS to charged at 1 50 or WhatsApp on 0614-104-107 Dr. Fanny Gerg do you feel that in South Africa right now there's enough that's being done to educate young people and give comfort and solace to young people who are HIV positive. I remember in the days of um, Ngozi Johnson, I mean, there was a lot spoken about children who are HIV positive, but right now, I don't see much in the media or social media platforms. Yeah, this is a problem and yes, I think despite the fact that we have um, oh, many, many HIV infections annually still, um, which is of great concern, um, we're not doing enough in the media. I think we've become very COVID orientated at the moment and most of our attention is going on COVID. But in actual fact, the number of HIV and TB related deaths exceeds that of the COVID pandemic at the moment. And um, it seems to have taken precedence in terms of publicity, daily counts as to number of infections, number of deaths, etc. We should be doing the same thing for HIV and for TB. Um, TB being uh, one of our greatest killers in this country, um, especially if one is HIV positive, especially if TB uh, is undiagnosed um, and therefore untreated. So, yes, we do need a lot more public awareness. We need to do a lot more talking because it's talking that creates understanding that reduces the stigma attached to HIV infection and um, TB infection. And we need to be saying, look, you know, there are lots of chronic illnesses Um, that exist in this country, HIV, TB are just two of those illnesses along with COVID, etc. So more talking, more publicity would be immensely valuable at the moment across all our communities and in all our languages. Um, This is something that we also need to attend to. Uh, We need to make sure that messages are put across in languages that um, kind of represent our whole range of uh, language in this country because we have many people who understand, well, obviously understand best in their own language um, and need to hear the information in their own language.
is a quite uh, a catch-22 that we find ourselves in because COVID-19 is one of those pandemics that has gripped the entire um, world and um, obviously our attention needs to be paid to it but also HIV has not lost its uh, prevalence in our society. Now we know that in 2015 in the 21 highest burdened countries only 54% of children exposed to HIV were tested within the recommended uh, two months months in uh, and uh, where does that leave us does that mean that most of these uh, children within the 54 percent have received the antiretroviral viral uh, medications or does that mean that only a, a percentage of these children have received it and some the or the rest are yet to get the medication you mean those children who are diagnosed as hiv positive Correct. okay yes we do have a problem. The reach of children who need the medication is somewhere in the region of 26, somewhere between 26 and 30%. Um, that does not necessarily relate to the um, availability of the medication. It rather relates to parents, caregivers, taking children to have their blood levels tested um, tenuously, and um, it relates also to the stigma that they feel in relation to their child's HIV status. Because if the child has not been sexually abused, um, if the child has not received an infected blood transfusion, which is highly, highly unlikely in this country, we have really an excellent transfusion service, um, then it is most likely to be vertical transmission, transmission through a parent. And this is where parents find the disclosure of their HIV status extremely difficult um, when it comes to talking to their children. It's as difficult, if not more difficult, than as compared to talking about sex, which of course we know parents find very difficult to talk to their children about. And yet it's so important because good communication is part and parcel of protecting your child's health. So um, we do have problems with uh, sufficient numbers of children being put on medication. There are, of course, you know, problems in some provinces with what we call drug stockouts, where the clinic has run out of perhaps a particular drug. Um, and therefore people do not get the uh, treatment they need. Uh, but in the main, the medication is available for children. We also have medication that's suitable for children to take rather than um, tablets or injections and so on, um, more palatable for children. Uh, so I think it's really important if you think your child is HIV positive, if they have frequent infections that take ages to clear up, um, then ask for your child to be tested at your local clinic. Um, children are routinely tested uh, at birth, but if your child has acquired um, HIV after uh, you know, birth, or your child was not born in the clinic, perhaps born at your homestead, um, then one really must uh, be responsible and take the child for testing. 
sometimes when children present with certain illnesses, they are routinely tested. Um, but, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Um, I do remember when my own son contracted meningitis, HIV was one of the things that he was tested for because meningitis and HIV often will go together or children who contract uh, meningitis have a higher kind of propensity to, to become infected with meningitis if they're HIV positive. And one should welcome that because that is really protective testing, testing that can bring a child into uh, service provision when it comes to medication and so on. Um, so, yes, if you suspect your child could be positive, please take them for testing um, and uh, encourage uh, your child to take whatever medication is prescribed. Now, Dr. Fanny, can you speak of the availability of uh, certain medications in some of our public health uh, care systems, uh, such as the clinics and so on? Now, how, what does this do to drug uh, resistance? Because we do know that with HIV, uh, drug resistance is one of the issues that we should be very cognizant of, especially in children who are taking antiretroviral uh, treatment. Indeed, it's something that if if you go to your clinic and um, they say they don't have the medication available, always ask if another clinic will have it, is there a possibility of a referral. But it is important for you also to let your um, nearest uh, branch of an HIV advocacy organization um, to know because they can put pressure uh, on governments on government or the provincial governments, because health is a provincial affair, um, to try and source the medication for you. Don't just walk away from that clinic. If you are well enough to kind of take it up as an issue, people living with HIV and AIDS, organizations like Know Your Number, organizations like the Treatment Action Campaign, these are organizations that actually take on these issues and challenge government to make sure that that medication is provided. It is possible that if you go without your medication for just a very, very short period, that your um, medical, your, your physical condition will not be seriously compromised. But in the main, there should not be a gap in you taking your antiretrovirals. Um, they have to be taken when they should be taken and in the dosage they should be taken on as regular a basis as is prescribed. And uh, as we close off, uh, Dr. Fanny Kerk, in terms of uh, child-headed households with HIV, how does our public health care system deal with the psychosocial well-being of these children who are heading households as a result of HIV? And at most times, um, some of these children themselves or their siblings could be HIV positive themselves. Indeed, we do come across children um, where you have children looking after children or more commonly young people, youths looking after children. In other words, quite young 
adults, you know, maybe 18, 19, 20, 21. And yes, they do uh, have to take responsibility um, for making sure that the children in their care receive um, adequate health care. Um, just to say that where a child is head of a household and is 18 or under, the Children's Act requires that that household have a person uh, who is responsible, who consults with those children regularly on how grant money should be used on things like the other children's health and so on. So there, if, if a social worker um, or a children's court becomes aware of a child-headed household, they are supposed to look for a person to appoint as like a supervisor to that household. So they don't kind of make decisions for the children. They make decisions with the children. Um, and a, a lot of these decisions might be around things like school attendance or health attendance. And there are quite strict rules around um, these household supervisors. They may not take the child's money, their children's money. Um, the money must come to the children, but they can help the children the, obviously, the oldest child who, who has to be between the age of 16 and 18, they will help them with budgeting. Um, they will help them to access other resources like school uniforms and so on. And they are appointed officially by child protection organizations or by the Children's Court or by social development. And they have to account. They've got to kind of account for how often they uh, are with the children, how they help the children, etc. And they themselves are supervised by social workers. So the law has actually really tried to cater for these children. Now, some people say, but surely these children are children in need of care and they should be placed in foster care or in homes. But as one child said to me one day, he said he was, I think, about 17 and he had younger siblings. He said, you know, we have already lost our parents. We don't want to lose each other. We want to be able to continue living in our own home. We want to be able to continue living with each other because the, our relationships with each other are so important to us. And I think if a child is of sufficient maturity, is able to continue attending school if they're still at school, can function well under the supervision of a caring adult. Why not allow these children to um, exist in their own household and to be supervised by someone who's responsible? Some of these households do very well indeed. Dr. Fanny for, for for these children who are in these households um, which are child-headed, is there any financial support for them um, based on the fact that they don't have parents and it's as a result of HIV? Indeed, there's quite a lot of support for them. Obviously, um, the children do have access to the child support grant um, as long as all the children are under the age of 18. Um, but the grant is not enough. And so you find there are various organizations who, who do provide other services. 
Um, and along with that provision might be things like school uniforms and so on. Also, um, schools may not charge these children school fees. Um, health facilities have to treat uh, children in this position without any charge. Um, so there is no payment for services um, that these children need. Um, they are granted these uh, services free of charge, as they should be. Um, you know, <clears throat> they they really uh, can access other support most of the time. We also have um, some amazing uh, projects in this country for children who require extra support, one of which is what we call the Isibindi Project, which I'm not sure if any of your listeners have heard of, where children can go to what is known as a safe park to play um, after school or during school holidays. And at the safe parks are trained child and youth care workers or trained volunteers who provide services to these children. So if the child needs counselling for some other reason or if the child has a specific need, they are able to talk to the staff who are working at these safe parks and um, usually are able to access some sort of assistance. The safe parks are being rolled out over the entire country um, by the Department of Social Development and um, have been an incredible resource for many children. You know, it's uh, very good to know that there are some resources for young people to uh, access w when they are heading uh, households as, as a result of um, uh, HIV and AIDS. But the reality is still one of those harsh ones. And I think as South Africa, we need to still pay a lot of attention uh, to this particular um, um, a pandemic or scourge being HIV and AIDS because it is hitting a lot of South Africans. Dr. Um, Joan Faniger, as we close off, what are your parting shots? Sorry, I didn't hear your last question. What are your parting shots as we close off our conversation? You know, we have this lovely saying in Africa that your children are my children and my mm. children are your children. Mm. And the raising of children traditionally was a community responsibility. And my parting words are, I wish we could return to that, where every person in every community, every adult in every community is aware of what is happening to the children in their community and takes a level of responsibility to make sure that these children are fed, cared for, loved and supported. Um, and I think that we all have that responsibility as South Africans struggling with a number of pandemics at the moment, HIV being one of them, COVID being another, that we look around us, those of us who are able to, and we extend that helping hand and regard all children as kind of our children, not their children. So that's really what I believe we need to return to, a sense of community responsibility for children.
And I think that is the very important essence that we need to return to. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening, Dr. Joan Fanikerk. And I do hope that one day in the near future we'll be talking about this um, same situation in a more um you know, jubilant nature that we have seen some results around uh, children and HIV and some progress of this. Thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you for dealing with such an important and very sensitive subject. Thank you very much indeed. That was Joan, uh, Dr. Joan Fani Kerke, who was joining us talking about HIV and AIDS. And uh, Dr. Fani Kerke is uh, one of the people who are really making sure that in South Africa, we don't forget about the importance of HIV and AIDS when it comes to children, as uh, she is um, one of the heads of uh, the departments leading um, the conversation on uh, the issue of children and HIV. Dr. Joan Fanny Kerk is, um, um, you know, part of uh, the committee that uh, sits and talks around children and HIV on uh, the Children's um, South African National AIDS Council's Civil Society Forum. SAFM is, let's uh, go to some music because we've had quite some heavy hearted conversations uh, this evening and uh, with the music we are going to be trying to lighten up our evening and make sure that goodness and grace leads us to the great highs of success.